Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6 says this. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Uh, This is the word of the Lord, to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word this morning. We mean it genuinely, and we mean it because we know know what it means for us. We know the gift of your word to us. We know, God, that we would be stuck, we would be lost if it wasn't for who you are. You're an outward-facing God. You have reached out to us. You have spoken to us, ultimately displayed in how you sent your son Jesus to be sin for us so that we could be reconciled to you in relationship. And so, God, we we have a really cool opportunity before us this morning. Um, And it's really just to, to respond to you, to open up our ears to you, to open up our hearts and our lives for you. And to invite you, God, to do whatever it is that you want, to say what we need to hear. We know that you always have, God, um, our best in mind for your glory. Whatever is for your glory is also for our good. And so help us trust that. And, and Lord, now as, a, as I seek to, to communicate this message, it's, it's my first time back in a couple weeks. I might be a little rusty. And so... We just depend now and look to the power of your Holy Spirit to make this time meaningful for us. God, we pray that as as we now sit under your word, that it would be the very voice of your spirit that we hear speaking to us. Lord, we're not here for man. We're not here for, for some experience. Ultimately, God, we're here to hear from you, to know you. And so, God, I, I pray for you to speak. And we ask you to do that and to give us ears to hear what you want to say. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, let's begin with two questions. The first question is uh, for you. It's meant to be introspective. It's theological. It's also very fairly simple, but it's profound nonetheless. I want you to ask yourself this question, or rather, I'll ask you this question. Do you know God. Do you know God? And by know, I mean, do you personally know him? Not like, yeah, I've heard about him. I've heard he's a pretty strong, you know, guy. Like, not just generally, but ask yourself this question again. Do you, how would you answer this? Do you know God? Second question, how do you know that you know him? How do you know that you know that you know that you know him. Uh, this is what the book of 1 John is all about. Uh, the book of 1 John is a book for and of assurance. You ever been assured of something? Like confident in it, so much so that you would bet your life on it. Now, on the other hand, have you ever lacked assurance? Lacked assurance in regards to where the future, what the future looks like, or what you're capable of, or what that person that made that promise is capable of? You know, life is filled with examples of both assurance and and the lack of assurance. Uh, What 1 John wants us to have in the midst of those those kind of struggles is this guarantee of assurance in regards to who God is and who we are to him. Uh, Assurance is an important thing in your relationship with God, to be sure of who God is, to be sure of your relationship to him. That's why 1 John is written. All throughout 1 John, you'll see uh, this phrase, these things are written so that you may know. So that you may know that you know that you know. You shouldn't be unsure of your relationship with God. God would want you, and he, he, he has given you his very word, even the book of 1 John, 
for you to know that you know. Now here in this passage, specifically verses 3 through 6 that we read, uh, the topic of assurance has to do with knowing God. How can I be sure of the fact that I know God? Well, well, John gives one of many evidences in his book. Uh, As you go through 1 John, you see all these different kind of tests and evidences of your relationship with God. But one of the visible fruits, John says, of genuine relationship with God, someone who really knows him, here's how you can know that you know him, it's somebody who specifically keeps God's word and lives in God's way. John says, this is how you can know if you know God. It's one thing to say, yeah, I know God. Well, John says, well, then look at your life, and is there evidence of someone who is keeping God's word, obeying God's commandments, and living in God's way? Notice verse 6. He who says he abides in him, the word abides is a scriptural term to describe our relationship with God. It speaks of communion and connection. The word there, abide, can also be translated remain. He who says that they remain in relationship with God ought himself also to walk just as he walks. Now, or walked. This is interesting. John is saying that as a Christian or someone who claims to have a relationship with God, it's not enough to simply intellectually ascend to the truths of God. Theology matters. Knowing the truth of God matters. But there must be more than just knowing about. There must be this descension that happens from those truths into the very details of your life, so much so that you begin to adopt the ways of what you know. So much so that you begin to be different and walk different and live and act different. Kind of an intimidating verse, right? He who says that he abides in God also himself must walk, and the word there, he, is Jesus, walking as Jesus walked. Now, um, this isn't just, by the way, John's ideas, okay? One of the things I love about the scriptures, you have different authors, different time periods, different contexts, um, all writing in harmony with each other about the same theology, about the same truths, Um, This isn't only John's idea about your relationship with God. This is also Jesus' vision for discipleship. This is really important to think about this. Walking as Jesus walked, living in the way of Jesus, is the very vision that Jesus has for your and my discipleship, for us following him. It should encompass this. Uh, Jesus gives his own vision for discipleship in the short, one of the shortest parables in the Bible, all right? I love, I love the parables. Um, does anybody know what kind of pets Jesus had, by the way? He had a pair of bulls. All right. Don't ever say that again? Okay, I got you. Check mark. All right. Youth group jokes, you know, some translate, like youth ministry, eight years, some, tr- okay. We'll just go back to the Bible. Okay, Luke 6 Short, one of the shortest parables in the scriptures. It says, and he spoke a parable, LOL, to them. Notice this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Now, what's the answer? No. Right? Can the blind, can someone who doesn't know where they're going, you ever been with someone, like they're behind the wheel? You're like, do you know where they're going? They're like, yeah. Right? And like, can someone who doesn't know where they're going show someone else where to go? Of course not. The blind can't lead the blind. He's speaking, by the way, of discipleship. Then Jesus says, will they not both fall into the ditch? As a leader goes, so will the followers. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher. If the leader is blind, the people are going to become like him and be blind as well. If the leader falls into a ditch, likely the people are following that leader into the same ditch. A disciple is not separate or different from their teacher, but look at Jesus' vision of discipleship. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So Jesus is contrasting two different um, almost schools of discipleship in his day. It's the discipleship of the religious leaders, the blind, the Pharisees, who had the, the words of God but didn't know the heart of God or the very person of God. They were lost in their moral goodness. And then you have the discipleship that Jesus is coming to bring, a whole new way to live life. But regardless of those two schools, the principle is the same. Being trained in discipleship well means you begin to take on the life and the lifestyle of your teacher. 
This wasn't just the vision of Jesus' discipleship. This was the goal of all first century discipleship. Okay, so discipleship, it's become another one of those, like there's all these Christian ship words, right? You know, like discipleship, you know, potato ship, fellowship. It's like, you know, Mayflower ship. We got all these ships, okay? Stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. Too many jokes? Okay, okay, all right. It just can be one of those words that we overuse and underdefine, but this is a first century lifestyle, a first century practice. You would have the Talmudim, you'd have this, this relationship between a rabbi and his student, and that student would literally, just as the disciples did with Jesus, they would be around their teacher. They would, spend, they would drop everything to follow an apprentice under their teacher, and they would do that to be with them, to learn from them, but for the goal of actually living like them. Uh, you know, in, it's, it's, it's common in uh, the first century, but also today, that, that you know, the, the first century disciples would begin to take on every aspect of their teacher's lifestyle, from his mannerisms to his tone, I mean, everything about it. Like, and you know that's true, right? It, isn't it interesting how you really, you become like the people you surround yourself with, and certainly those that are influencing you spiritually. Uh, but that was the vision of, of first century discipleship. It's also the vision of Jesus, That in following him, we would do more than just be close to him and hear about what he says. But the goal is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually start to look less like the flesh and ourselves. And we begin to actually look like Jesus. Like, just think about that for a second. What would it look like and what does it look like for you as an individual, as a 21st century disciple of Jesus? What does that look like for you to look like Jesus? to look like him, to resemble him in such a way that we don't go around telling everyone we're Christians, but we go around everywhere and people tell each other, I think they're Christians. Look at the way they're living. What is it about them? You know, this is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, his Sermon on the Mountain, greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus gives his kingdom manifesto. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he begins to give this countercultural way of living. Now, he didn't give that for us to go, wow, that's a great sermon, Jesus. Great preacher, Jesus. You're a lot of great things. One of them, a preacher, all right? Like, if you gave that as a TED Talk in my school, I think you might get a standing ovation. That was amazing. Now, that, that wasn't the goal of Jesus preaching the way of the kingdom of God. It was for his disciples, listen, to change their lives accordingly. He, he ends the Sermon on the Mount. It's like... It's amazing how Sermon on the Mount is like, out of all the passages of Scripture, it's like one of the most that's treated like a bag of trail mix. Let me take the M&Ms. Let me take, I'll take a raisin too, all right? It's like, leave those unsalted things, you know? Like, that's what people do with the Bible. Certainly the Sermon on the Mount, they're like, I like, love your enemies. That's nice, you know? It's like, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's like, let's put that back, you know? It's like. You know what I mean? It just kind of goes on and on. Be salt and light. Mm. All right? And it's like, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. Back in the bag, you know? So it's treated that way. And one of, the, one of the verses that's left off the most is right here at the end when Jesus is done preaching. He's done giving the way and the culture that a, that a citizen of heaven should be living. And he goes, therefore... Speaking of the 21st century and the first alike, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does, or, or and does them, speaks positively. In, in Greek, the word does is literally translated and puts them into practice. He who puts the teachings of Jesus into practice, he says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. It was sturdy, had a reliable foundation, living according to the truths of God's word. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone, here's the counter of that, the negative, whoever does not, or sorry, and everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not put them into practice, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Living in the way of Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus, it is not just some level you may graduate to one day if you stick in church long enough. It is what Jesus has signed you up for the day you decided to trust in him. The day he opened up your heart to his love for you, you entered the school of learning how to walk like Jesus. Now, let's back up for a second, okay? 
a moment of realism and honesty. Like I look at these, the, the, remember they, these are the, uh, the three practices that we've been saying, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Let's just kind of create, create a, a checklist and sort of judge the degree of difficulty of each one, okay? Be with Jesus. I got that. Like, I got to wake up earlier sometimes, you know? But you know what I'm doing it right now? Here I am with the Lord at church. Check, all right? All right. That's, you know, easy. I got that. Second, learn from Jesus. You know, I'm kind of stubborn, and I have my own ways, and I have my own way of thinking, and, you know, I got my political passion, and, I, you know, I'm fired up. So I've got my worldview. I got my ideas. But, you know, I'm willing to admit that I don't see everything perfectly. I'm willing to allow Jesus to disagree with me. <laughs> Think about that sentence, all right? And I'm willing to unlearn what I need to in order to, to relearn what's true. I'm willing to do that. That's discipleship. All right, check, check. Walk like Jesus. Let's stop there, okay? I've been talking about how important it is to affirm your, and assure your relationship with God. I've been talking about how central it is to Jesus' vision of discipleship. But can we just be real for a second? How many of us really think we're nailing this one, okay? And if you think you are, I just want you to, here's an exercise. Ask your spouse. <laughs> Honey, don't I walk like Jesus? Like, I pretty much floated here, didn't I? <laughs> right? Yeah, right? I limp with Jesus. More like, you know, or ask your, I mean, come on. Like, if, if there's any sense of basic sanity and humility, you're going to be like, walk, what? Like, so I thought of a, maybe a modern picture that many of us may get in our heads when we think of something like walking like Jesus. And so for this illustration, I'm going to throw up a picture. And I want you to raise your hand if you understand its current cultural relevance. Okay. Okay. Raise your hand if you know what it means. Some of you guys are like guessing. You're like, a crate. It's a crate. Okay. So we kind of divided the room in half, by the way. So, um, what a week, you know? I, I'm always like, I'm like, okay, we've reached the end of things that could go, that are weird and could go viral. Like, I remember when planking first happened. I was like, oh, that's it, we're done. Or maybe like another dance, you know, the soldier boy dance was like the one back in the day. But there is, seems to be this eternal abyss of nonsense that will always fill the internet into uncharted territory of what can go viral. This weekend, it was, or rather this past week, it was the milk crate challenge. By the way, like, usually the challenges are like for charity or something. Nope. <laughs> it wasn't like, I nominate them to bring awareness to so-and-so. It was just like, no, and so the milk crate challenge, here's what it looks like. It's this pyramid of milk crates that are usually surrounded by some, some, some sus individuals around the milk crates who are, who are there waiting for the person ascending and descending over the mountain of milk crates to absolutely eat it. And I mean slam. Now, there's something funny about people getting hurt. I don't, I'm sorry. Like, my wife really struggles with this. Like, if I'm ever in pain, it's, not, it's never compassion. It's always laughter first. So we're working on that. But, but I, okay, I can get why it went viral. Because there's a sense in which, like, these people are doing it willingly. It's like, you've seen the video. You know what's going to happen, okay? Um, my favorite was a video of a guy. He was doing it, and he had a mask on. Now, listen, maybe a helmet. Maybe a helmet would be, would be good, okay? Um, that wasn't an anti or pro-mask thing. I'm just saying, like, he's... Wear a mask, but wear a helmet, too. That's really your... Okay. So, so, so essentially, this is what it is. It's this challenge where you have to try to get up and over the milk crates. And it, unless you're like, you can walk a, a, a you know, a, uh, what's that called? Tightrope. Tie there's no way you're going to do it. You're going to end up on someone's, um, someone's social media page. And so uh, that, that was this week. Now, the reason why I, I think about this is I, I think this is a great modern example of what a lot of us think about with walking like Jesus. We, we tend to think of it as like as ridiculous and foolish of a thought as trying to ascend and descend the milk crates. You know, Jesus talked actually in, the, in that verse we just read, he talked about how the house comes crashing down, right? 
and great is its fall. And, and if a lot of us were honest, maybe for, for, for most of us, we give up before we even begin because of how much failure we've experienced in following Jesus or, or because of how many people around us have stopped walking with Jesus. And, and this is, let's be honest, when you look at this simple point, walking like Jesus, for a lot of us, the, the thing that comes into my mind is that we're set up for failure. That's the idea. Like, why even try to live and walk like Jesus if I'm just going to crash and burn? If I'm just going to fall? If, I'm just, if it's just going to be another example of what happens when you try? Um, the, the idea, again, and I wrote it down this way, is that it seems like an impossible task that's just going to lead to me crashing and burning. Now, um, I think what we need in light of this thought is just some healthy, helpful theology. A nice full plate of what's true here. Uh, I, I want to say this, that when Jesus calls you and I to put his teachings into practice as Christians, as Christians, as those who are saved by Jesus, whole another conversation for those who are just trying to live good moral lives. That's not what we are as Christians. We're not trying to live up to some moral standard that Jesus already did. But those who are saved and have been made new in Jesus... When he calls you and I to become like him, to live like him, to walk in his way as his apprentices, he is not setting us up for failure. He is not like that. He is not like that. Whatever has led you to think of a God who wants you to fail, who sets you up to crash and burn, it is not from the kingdom of God. It is not from the counsel of God. It's not from the heart of God. A couple important principles about this. Two reasons why Jesus is not setting us up for failure when he calls us to walk like him. Number one, because we're not called first to walk perfectly. We're not. There's passages that will confront the standard of perfection to be accepted by God apart from the cross and how impossible that is. But as a follower of Jesus, you and I are not set up for failure when we're called to walk like Jesus because nowhere in Scripture as a New Testament Christian is the expectation that you do it perfectly, that you perfectly ascend and descend the milk crates, that you, that you follow Jesus without any error, without any mistakes, without any of your humanity, without any of your struggles. That's a part of the process. We're not called to walk perfectly. There is grace here. And, and where sin abounds in your walk with Jesus, don't give up because grace abounds much more. And some of us have given up because not, not because we've sinned, but because we've lost sight of grace. We've just said, I just can't do this. No, you can't. That's what grace is for. So, so, so this is so important. You're not set up to, to fail here because you're not called to walk perfectly. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3. I mean, if anybody was going to make it to the perfect walking life Christian, it was, it was probably Paul. I mean, the guy was just like a human of humans, deeply flawed and human, but like an epic human, did incredible things by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. And Paul says in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Paul's like, oh, perfection? Nope. It's not here, nor is it there or anywhere in sight as I'm following Jesus. I'm not, I haven't perfected. I'm not perfectly walking in the spirit. I'm not perfectly walking like Jesus, but I press on. I keep going that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now notice what, 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 what's here in this tension. There's a grace that says, I, I don't have to walk perfectly, but what that grace produces is a passion and a purpose to keep going. Um, here's the way that I, I wrote it down, the way to think of it. The goal of following Jesus, or maybe you could substitute, the goal of walking like Jesus isn't perfection, it's progress. There's a big difference between perfection and progress. Um, you know, perfection's overrated, first of all. It's just so overrated. And, and like, as someone who, who can be a perfectionist in some areas of life, um, it can also be detrimental when, when, when the thought is the standard of perfection. But progress is attainable. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 as a young leader, I love this verse, he says, let your progress be known to all. 
like, and this is such like, anytime you put this on a Christian of like growing or walking like Jesus, there's always this like, well, I'm not perfect. You expect me to be perfect. No, I'm just, like, I'm just expecting you to grow. Healthy things grow. So it's not about perfection, but it is about progress. Paul says, I haven't perfected, but I'm pressing on. Uh, Listen, I'm not perfectly walking in love, but I want to progress in how I walk with love. I want to love more today than I did yesterday. Amen? So so it's it's progressive. So so that's the first thing. This is why Jesus isn't setting us up to fail. He, He doesn't call us to walk perfectly, so throw that out. Many of you have quit because that's your idea. But second thing, this is the most exciting and encouraging for me. Second reason why Jesus doesn't set us up for failure when he calls us to walk like him and walk in his ways is he doesn't call us to walk alone. You're not called to meet God at some finish line that he's waiting for you at. You're not called to, you, by the way, you can't. And secondly, Jesus never calls you to that. That's not his expectation. You know, get there, I'll be waiting. Hopefully make it to the pearly gates. Hopefully you live good enough, you walk in my ways, and you get to the finish line, I'll be there waiting. No, that, that's not the picture. In fact, it's amazing because Jesus, he emphasizes when he's with his disciples the kind of life that he's calling them to live, the kind of things that he's calling them to do. And, and they're things we want to do because they lead to a healthy helpful lifestyle. But after like, you know, volumes and volumes and years and years of teaching practices and ways of life, as he's sending out his disciples with their instructions and their commitments to go live in the way of Jesus, he doesn't send them out and say, okay, now that you know all the things you need to do, I want you to go get to work. Get after it. You got this. You know, with your best white knuckle discipline, you can walk like me. Go for it. No, no, no. You know what he tells them to do? He says, go and wait. I've told you all you need to do, but now you need to go and wait for the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the very power of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm going to not just tell you what to do, and this is what's different, and really what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion Most, if not every major world religion and even minor world religions have a teacher with a vision for life and and a way to live. But it's only the Christian faith where the teacher is not just your teacher first, but he's your savior first. So he doesn't just tell you how to live, but he actually empowers you and makes you by his spirit who he's calling you to be. That's amazing. You won't find that anywhere else. The teacher going, here, here's how you need to live. And here I come alongside of you to help you live that way. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. We're not called to walk alone. This was always God's vision for his people, even back to the Old Testament. As God's people were trying to live and walk in God's ways. And constantly, the story of the Old Testament is is humans cannot keep God's commandments. We can quote them all day long. We can put them on the wall of our children's classrooms. At the end of the day, keeping them is the hard part. Knowing them is easy. And so Jesus' vision for God's people has always been Ezekiel 36, 27. Jesus uh, uh, alludes to this with with the disciples, and God prophesied this before the time of Jesus. And here's what God said to his people. There's a time coming where I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is amazing. I'm going to fill you with my spirit, and the power of my spirit is going to cause you to walk in my ways and statutes. So, so the question here is like, when you see a call from scripture upon you, even this morning, that says you need to walk and live like Jesus, whose, whose power does your mind go to immediately? I don't know about you, but when I see something in the Bible like do these things, I'm like, I got this. I try, or I go, oh, I can't do this, but I'm going to try. A lot of like try mindset. I got to try. What if our minds started to be more biblical and said, Jesus, you're calling me to do this, therefore I can trust that your Holy Spirit is going to fill me and empower me to walk in these things? What if my mind started to go to the power of the Holy Spirit? What's impossible with man becomes possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. You go, well, I've tried to overcome this thing 27 times. Exactly. What does it look like to, to stop trying but start relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, this requires us, by the way, to, get a, to become a little... Um, 
a little more charismatic in our, in our relationship and understanding with the Holy Spirit. I don't mean getting weird, okay? I just mean start here, developing a relationship with God the Holy Spirit. Which Spurgeon said is one of the hardest things to conceptualize and practice because how, I can't imagine God the Holy Spirit as much as I can imagine God the Father. I can look in the scriptures and see God the Son. But God the Holy Spirit, the power of God, waking up and saying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me the power that I need to love today. Give me the power that I need to walk in you today. To, to walk in your ways as you promised. You will cause me to walk. Now, it's important to kind of counter this and complement this with Scripture's continued sort of theme about the Spirit's power that, that includes also our own decisions. So like, you know, in the church, it's like, I think we're theologically, you can have two errors. One error is like you think it's all up to you and that you're just going to milk crate. It's going to be bad, Okay. The, the other idea is it's just like, yeah, God, it's your Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to lay here on the couch and waiting for you to lead me into a perfect holy life, you know, or whatever that is. And, and there could be a danger there where we don't see the, the entire con, uh, counsel of God's word. Let, let me kind of uh, bridge the gap there. So Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Um, I got more Bible verses, too. So many Bible verses today. It's cool. Bible's a good thing to open in church, I think, right? All right. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. That's Paul speaking to the church. Notice this command. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's speaking about sanctification. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you. Isn't this interesting? Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God is working in you to walk in his ways. But you need to work out what God is working in. You know, so, so God, who's at work in my life when I'm called to walk in your ways? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it me? And God's like, yes, correct. I'll work in you. I will get, listen, I'll work in you both to want to do the good thing and actually to do it. But you've got to walk out. You've got to work out what I'm working in. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, if we live in the Spirit, this could also be translated, since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So no longer do I have this vision of following Jesus and walking like him as a vision of failure. Because it doesn't fully depend on me. It's something God's spirit enables me to do. Not perfectly, but progressively. But no longer can I sit back apathetically with an unchanged heart, with no feet to my faith, kind of just consuming the Christian thing instead of walking out what God is calling me to do. It's going to require walking. It's going to require a decision. You know, walking is, involves steps. It involves stepping towards what God is calling me to, trusting at the end of the day that I'm not walking in my own strength. I'm walking in the Holy Spirit. Now, um, we're closing in Ephesians chapter 5. So turn there, Ephesians chapter 5. You know, every church you go to, the pastor saying we're closing means something different, you know. That's all I'm going to say. All right, Ephesians, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. So turn there, okay? As you're going there, I want to say that this idea of being a Christian, walking in the way of Jesus, it's not something that we're called to do perfectly, nor is it something we're called to do alone. Uh, this is one of the themes of the book of Ephesians. I'd encourage you to read through the whole book of Ephesians. If you haven't yet or you haven't recently, I feel like I'm always in the book of Ephesians. It's just so rich. Um, and Paul is writing, in Ephesians, he's writing to Christians who have become new in Jesus. They're new creations. They're no longer bound to live the way of life they used to live, the way that their non-Christian friends live. They're, they're no longer that. They're free. They're saved. They're new. Paul's writing to Christians who are new but are still living in the old. They're still walking the same way. And so Paul says to them, you're in Ephesians 5. Before, I'm going to give you a little catch-up. Don't turn there, but look at this. Earlier in chapter 4, 
Paul says, I say therefore and testify in the Lord, look at this, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or pagans, non-believers walk. Because you're not like them. You're different now. Your walk should be different because of who's in you, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you still walking the same way? You're, you're, he says, I testify in the Lord. That's like straw language. Like me and God are here talking to you. No longer walk the way that you used to walk. This is an exhortation. As the rest of the world walks in the futility of their mind. He starts describing what I call the walking dead. Okay? They're in the futility of their mind. They have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart. He's describing a, someone who's, who's unsaved, who's unregenerate. They're, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And, and then Paul goes like, if this is you, you have not so learned Christ. If you're in Christ and this is characterizing your walk in your life, you have a lot to learn about who Jesus really is. He's much more powerful of a, as a, of a savior than that. He doesn't just save you, you know, one day in eternity. He's come to save your present. He's come to save you right now from you. He says, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, here's what you should know as a Christian. That you put off concerning your former conduct. That, that old way of life, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and here's the call, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're new now in Christ. You have a new way to walk, a new way to live. He says, and that you put on the new man. I love it. It's like an outfit. You wake up, you, you know, it's like, hopefully you're not wearing the same clothes that you've been wearing for the past 10 days. If you are, it's all good. You're welcome here, okay? But usually it's like, I need to get fresh. And so I'm going to remove the old. I'm going to put on the new man. It's a decision which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You see this exhortation? Being new in Jesus means a new opportunity to walk and to live different, unlike the way the world walks, unlike the way that the world lives. Now, you're in Ephesians 5. I told you I got a big hunk of Bible for you today, all right? Ephesians 5, I got a little graph for you, okay, a little chart. Verses 1 through 16, what Paul begins to do is he begins to unpack some characteristics of how someone who's in Jesus should walk now. These are like the details of what that walk should look like. Walking in the way of Jesus. Someone who claims to be in God, well, th these are the fruits that the Holy Spirit should be producing in your and my life. It's not going to happen perfectly, but it ought to be happening purposefully and progressively. In verses 1 through 2, you have Paul explaining the theme of, of walking in love. That's where it starts, and I love that because... You know, if there's really one word that we, if we could reduce, like, what does Jesus, what does walking like Jesus look like? Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It looks like love. Um, this is first and foremost. Um, love in Scripture is the biblical mark of spiritual maturity. Do we know this? First Corinthians 13, you have, like, you have all these... It's funny because they were around back then. They're still around today. You have all, of, all these like cultural Christian markers of a mature Christian. Like, do you know how much theology they know? Theologian, okay? Theologian, right? Do you, do you see how much they give themselves for the church? Do you see what they do? And you go through 1 Corinthians 13. It's like, look at this. Look at this. Look at, all the, look at these things that they do. Do you see how many devos they post on Instagram? Look at them. And then Paul's like, Hey, to have all these things but not have love is to have nothing. And then he goes on to say, when I was a child, I thought like a child about spiritual maturity. When I became a man, he's speaking about maturity. I, I, I changed the way that I lived. I, I grew up spiritually. And then he goes, it says, and now abide in faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So, so Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's more than a Valentine's Day passage, you know? It's... It's a sharp rebu rebuke to Christians. It's like, happy Valentine's Day, you know. It's like, your maturity is for nothing if it doesn't have love. You know? Will you be my Valentine? Um, but Paul says that. He says it's the, it's the primary characteristic 
of, of spiritual maturity. Jesus says that the way that we love, how we walk in love, it's also, it's the evidence of our discipleship to him. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Okay? If you vote this way. Wait, hold on. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have a Jesus fish on your car. No way, by the way. I don't have one on my car for a reason. But, um, by, now, fill in the blank. This is how the world knows we're followers of Jesus. This is how they can look on in our lives. And this is the, the, the thing that we wear. And, and Paul's like, Jesus even says, it's love. Now, what Paul says about love is really interesting. He says in Ephesians 5, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Paul's like, okay, as you, as you walk like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, not perfectly but progressively, it should look like love. The way that he, he calls Christians to this is really cool. He's like, uh, he uses the principle of parenting, the imitation principle. We know this, don't we, unfortunately, parents? Like, at the end of the day, there is no such thing as do what I say and not as I do. Like, at the end of the day, people will not do as you say. They will follow what you do, especially children. You know, there's times where I'm, like, rebuking my children, like, breaking them up. And I'm like, why, why did you do that? Where did you learn that? And I'm like, okay, wait, no, don't answer that question. I know where you learned that. Okay, that looks like me, okay? It's just parent, parents, we know this, that children imitate. They're, they're creatures of imitation, and, and so Paul is saying that same principle sh should apply to your relationship with God as your father. Imitate the same love that your father has showed you. Isn't that great? Walk in love as Christ has also loved us. So this is a test. Like, am I walking like Jesus? Well, first and foremost, here's how I know if I'm doing that or not. Am I walking in love? This is where Jesus is wanting to mature us today, to be more Christ-like loving people. And, and what does that love look like? He goes, well, it looks like the love that you've been shown. Isn't that awesome? I'm trying to figure out just how to love this person. I hear that all the time. How do I love them? It's like, I don't know, the same way God has loved you. Just marinate on that. Just receive that and imitate it. And watch what God does with that. I think the idea of mirroring God's love is really important for us, especially those of us um, that live in Boca. You know, people don't exactly move to Boca because of how loving it is. You know, like, I've heard just really loving environment. People wave, say hi. You know, they let you get in the lane. Come on. Bless you. Welcome to Boca. Boca Raton. I live here. I love it here. I found that it's really easy for me to mirror the lack of love that I see around me. And I can walk around begrudging about how unloving it is. And in doing so, I become like the very people I'm judging. You ever do that? Oh, you know, the left, the right, the middle, the top, the bottom, all of them, right? And you just can kind of like, listen, whose love are you mirroring? You're going to mirror someone's love. You're going to either look around you to try to it, subconsciously, naturally, like a child, you'll start to just reflect what you see. Or maybe you try to look within you to try to muster it up. And Paul's like, no, throw those out. You're a Christian. You're someone who's defined by the fact that God has radically loved you. As you receive that love, you imitate that love. Well, that, would, that should be a vision for our church. What's the vision of Soul's Church? To make Boca Raton the most loving city in, the United, in South Florida. Let's just start with South Florida. Tennessee's so loving, you know what I mean? Like, right? Like, and I hear that a lot. It's like, this place is so, like, I, I know, I have friends that are like, I'm moving. Why? Because people are mean here. And I'm not rebuking that. I mean, go where God calls you. But like, this is a great place to show people what love looks like. What true love looks like. Surprising people. Walking like Jesus. How, how, you know, if Jesus was a Boca Ratonian, isn't that a funny question? He'd definitely go to Las Vegas on Thursday nights, I think so. But if Jesus was a Boca Ratonian, how would he treat other citizens? How would he treat other people here? And you can apply that to, to your context too, okay? South Florida as a whole, I think, has that. Uh, you, you go through this list, man, walk in love. You go, you go to verses 3 through 13, read that section, and, and, and Paul's talking about walking in light. He, he talks about how as Christians now, he says we were darkness, 
I love that. He, he doesn't say, well, I don't love it, but it's interesting. He says, he says, he doesn't say you used to walk in darkness. He's like, you were darkness. That's who you was. And then he says, but now you are light. Here's another way to walk like Jesus. Jesus was the light of the world. He said, follow me. You'll have the light of life. Walk in love, but also walk in light. And when you go through this passage there in Ephesians 3, uh, 5, 3 through 13, Paul is listing various sins, predominantly sexual sins, that he says, these are the kind of things that are unbecoming, unfitting of a Christian. He goes, let it not even be, let, let this darkness be so far from you that it's not even named among you. That's what he says. It's so far from you that even if it's not true, nobody can even accuse you of it. Isn't that interesting? And I, want to, I wanted you to see one verse that he puts in here. It's really interesting. He says this. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What does light look like? The fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says this. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So I love this vision for how to walk like Jesus. Walk in love, but also walk in light. Um, and, and the way that you walk in light is you don't have any relationship with darkness. Such interesting language. Don't have fellowship. Don't be friends with sin, is what he's saying. That's usually like, that's how sin, like sin, by the way, is your enemy. Sin is not your friend. The unfruitful works of darkness are dark and they're destructive. But they don't show up as an enemy. Hi, I'm your enemy. How's it going? I'm representing the devil and I'm here to destroy your life. Can I come in? It's like, probably not. But it, sin comes usually kind of in, in this form of a, of a friend. I'm here to give you what you need. Ah, I have what you're missing. I have what you're looking for. And Paul's like, here's how you fight darkness. Don't make friends with it. Keep the distance. Define your relationship with sin. That's an enemy. And I'm going to stay away. I'm not going to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I'm going to, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to say, this is the truth of this. And I, I love that Paul says that that's part of our fight is identifying darkness. You know, you won't be able to identify darkness in your life if you're, if you're justifying it and explaining it away. Oh, I mean, it's kind of a gray area. It's like, nope. Right? What did God do in the beginning? He said, light and dark, divide. He separated it. He's like, here's light. Here's dark. you got to expose it. And, and then lastly, and we'll invite the band to come up as we wrap up here, as we close here. How, that's better. Last thing he says is to walk in life. That's verses 14 through 16. And, and he describes walking like Jesus and how you orient your life. It's this really interesting section where he talks about awaking from sleep, rising from the dead into spiritual life. And then in verse 15 and 16, he says to redeem the time. How do you spend your time? The days are evil. And, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we can imitate the life of Jesus and walk like him by the Spirit. You know, we can imitate his love. We can imitate his holiness and his life. He, was, he wasn't friends with sin. He's friends with sinners. That's cool. But he wasn't friends with sin. Um, but there, there's also something to the, the rhythm of Jesus' life. That, that leads to what Jesus calls abundant life, that Paul closes with, this is how you to imitate Jesus, like orienting your life around the same things that Jesus did, the same rhythms. And this kind of goes back to the beginning when, when Pastor Nate Gallagher was here two weeks ago. We talked about disciplines and practices and spiritual, um, these, kind of the spiritual rule of life that Jesus, we see him modeling that, these, these rhythms that we want to find ourselves living in as well. We go back to this opening question. Do you know God? And how do you know that you know him? Now, of course, the, the central theme of, of this message was in the fact that his gospel is, is transforming our lives. In the fact that his spirit has filled us and is leading us into more than we could ever achieve or get on our own. A life that actually looks like walking like him. And it, by the way, it's going to involve falling. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. It's going to involve trial and error. It's going to involve falling forward. It's going to involve success through failure. But 
What I love about the book of Ephesians, and again, this is where we close, is the book of Ephesians is written with two strong halves, six chapters long. Chapters one through three is all about what Christ has accomplished for you and I. It's all about how Jesus has walked. Despite how you and I walk, like that's already been settled. We, we've fallen short. We certainly don't walk perfectly. In fact, the truth is we walk like Ephesians 4 says, that old man, corrupt, that's our tendency. That's who we were apart from Jesus. But, but Ephesians 1 through 3, it's just like, let's get out of the spotlight for a second. Let's sit back and let's just look at Jesus. Let's look at how he lived. Let's look at how he walked. Let's watch Jesus walk to that hill and go upon a cross. Look at what Jesus has done. And all that Jesus has done is a work to purchase, listen, your acceptance by God. For you to not be unsure of whether or not God loves you or accepts you, but to look at the cross and see the demonstration of God's love for you. That's chapters 1 through 3. It's all about, in fact, the word that's used in 1 through 3 is the word over and over again. It's sit for Christian. What do I need to do? Before anything, I just need to, just as you are now, I need to sit. The first step to being a Christian is not getting up and trying to earn your way to God's acceptance. It's sitting in the fact that you are accepted by God. The cross is the final word. The gospel is good news for you and I as sinners. Now, now this is so amazing because the walking part is the second half of the book. It's chapters 4 through 6. The, the shift is in chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says this really key word, therefore. Therefore, in light of all that God has done in Christ for you. Therefore, in light of who you are in him. Therefore, because the gospel is true for you and I today, therefore, walk. Walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The idea here is this. Listen, we don't walk into God's acceptance. We walk from it. Whatever you get out of this teaching today, I hope you don't think I've got to do these things more so that God is more, you know, on my side and for me. No, no, that's settled. He loves you. He is for you. He displayed that through going to his cross for you. And it's because of who you are in him that he's calling you to walk be his disciple, to adopt his way of life, which is better and truly does lead to abundant life.